Good afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon, Dennis. I, I hear today's, every day there's a new shortage. Mm-hmm. And I hear today it's the tampon shortage. Yes. Which... Uh, becoming harder and harder to find. Retailers uh, reporting mostly empty shelves. Some say it's just certain brands. Others say it's across the board. I know what happened, though. I mean, it's pretty obvious. You uh, you doubled the number of users because you declared that men were also menstruating persons. You put them in men's rooms and boys' rooms in school. So how could you take the existing supply and stretch it over twice as many users and not expect to have a shortage? Problem solved. Next. What else you got? All right, good afternoon, 407 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. The uh, members of Congress are angrily calling press conferences to, to um, scold the CEOs of the tampon companies to make more, to produce more. And this is going to sound very familiar. The companies in question are saying, we told you months ago this was coming. We told you this was going to happen. We worried about it. It was it was the supply of the materials. It was factory staffing. It was the ongoing squeeze in the in the this country's transportation system and trucking system. Uh, all of that goes into it. They said, "Well, we didn't want to be short on this." All of a sudden, they're evil companies. You know, they're holding back. When are people going to figure this out? How many more things have to run out or be in short supply? At some point, I would hope that people are figuring out, and I do believe that people are figuring out, that this isn't a case of every single businessman and woman in America simultaneously deciding to be incompetent boobs. This is the result of layer upon layer of disastrous government action, political economics. We're being run by people that have never run anything real. We talked about this yesterday. Progressives believe that if you say something, if you declare it with fervor, look at Joe Biden, if you just yell it, it will happen, it will be. They are sure of their theories. And they're not going to let a little real-world experience wake them out of their woke reveries. Now, we're asking you on the JR poll today, do you expect Democrats will renominate Biden in 2024? A lot of people will tell you, oh, that's, there's no way that's going to happen. Everybody's got, I get asked this all the time, and everybody who asks... I think they ask because they want to tell what their theory is, and their theory is always it's going to be this other person. It's going to be Michelle Obama. It's going to be Oprah Winfrey. It's going to be um, Kamala Harris. It's going to be this one or that one. And um, you got to understand, Joe Biden is two things. He's the president of the United States, but he's also the face of the Democratic Party. And so even though we have the highest gas prices and the lowest consumer sentiment we've ever had, even though this guy is making Jimmy Carter look like Mount Rushmore, you got to remember there's two things going on here. Yes, he's not fit to be the President of the United States. 
He's not the man for a crisis. He's not the man for multiple challenges. He is incapable of listening to people outside of his bubble, outside of his world. Any other president in a moment like this would be bringing together all the sides, business people, let's get, let's get think tanks, I mean, not, not think tanks, let's get task forces and let's, you know, let's bring in the best and the brightest, let's ramp it up, let's whip inflation now, that was the slogan in the 70s with uh, Nixon and Ford and Carter, but no, they're, they're going to listen to themselves, they're, they're going to take a survey of themselves. They're going to watch the channels and listen to the outlets that tell them they're doing a great job. Robert De Niro was on Colbert the other night. He's doing a great job. So the other job that Joe Biden has is the reason I think he will get to keep both jobs. Remember, they ran him because he was the benign, non-threatening face of a bunch of ideas that were threatening. If you had put up for office the actual proponents of the Green New Deal, just to pick an example, Trump would have slaughtered them. Any, I would have slaughtered them. You, you would have slaughtered them. It wouldn't have even been a close. It would have been a landslide election. They had to hide radical ideas behind someone who seemed totally unradical. Who better than Joe Biden? And if they need to do that again in 2024, then they're going to need him again. It'll be like Weekend at Bernie's, but it won't matter. Right? The point of Weekend at Bernie's was if you don't look too closely, everything seems fine. That's what I think they're going to try to do. So I'm going to be a contrarian. I do think they will run him again in 2024. I think when he says that, he probably thinks he's making that decision, but I think that decision is being made by others. And, and they're going to say, look, it worked for us in 2020. We can keep him off the campaign trail. We can keep him out of sight. The White House is an even better hiding place. It's an even better place from which to stage a campaign than his house in Delaware was. That worked when he had a house in Delaware. It's going to work even better now. We'll have something going on. You know in the fall of 2024 there'll be something going on that will just necessitate a remote virtual campaign. So I, I think he will be their guy in 2024. What do you think? 210-599-5555. They, um, they asked AOC the other day if she would back him in 2024. She, she almost fell apart. Her face almost fell off trying not to answer the question. Take a listen to this. President Biden, he is saying he's going to run again in 2024. Will you support him? You know, if the president chooses uh, to run again in 2024, I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now uh, and preserving a majority this year in 2022. So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, but I think if if the president has a vision, then that's something certainly we're all willing to entertain and examine when the when the time comes. Mm. That's not a yes. Yeah. You know, I think uh, we should. <laughs> endorse when we get to it you know should he run again i think that i you know i think it's it's we'll take a look at it <laughs> oh, oh man this is like if you ask your wife do you love me and she says you know valentine's day is really about seven months eight months away and we just need to take a look at it when we get to that point you know um Corinne Jean-Pierre was on with Don Lemon on CNN and was asked about whether or not Joe Biden is up to it physically and she she has kind of a Kamala Harris Jr. moment. Listen to this. Cut number six. 
Does the president have the stamina, physically and mentally, do you think, to continue on even after 2024? Don, you're asking me this question. Oh, my gosh. He's the president of the United States. You know, it, he. I can't even keep up with it. We just got back from New Mexico. We just got back mm. um, from California. Uh, that is uh, I, 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 That is not a question that... She said, oh, it cut off. She said, that is, a, that is not a question we should even be asking. Everybody has played this clip today as if it embarrasses Corinne Jean-Pierre, but it actually embarrasses Don Lemon because it reveals that she expects Don Lemon to feed her underhand, you know, softballs. And she's horrified. She does the giggles thing. She's horrified that he would ask this question. I don't know how, in what, in what world is a question about the health and stamina of the President of the United States, a question that you would begin answering by laughing, right? That's, that's weird. These people don't want to say it. They're having a hard time. It's like they're holding in. We don't want to really say what we know. They're going to run him if they need him, is my answer. If they need him, they're going to run him. If they run him, it's because they need him. Tell me what you think about that. Do you expect Democrats will run him in 2024? 210-599-5555. It's laughable that we're asking these questions. She was also asked in the briefing um, about his low ratings. And she said that was laughable and that the president is delivering for the American people. He's delivering all right. I don't know about you, but I'd like to stop answering the door and not take any more of his deliveries. Um, there's a game being played here. We've got to talk about this, and it's a dangerous game. Yesterday um, on MSNBC, or I'm sorry, over the weekend on MSNBC, Congressman Jamal Bowman, who is uh, kind of an honorary male member of the squad, was uh, being asked about the midterms and the likelihood that Republicans will pick up seats and control Congress. And he described what would happen if uh, Republicans take control of Congress and he said it would be a civil war. It would be a civil war. We've got to understand that this is a group that's been radicalized by the great replacement myth and many other things and have been pushing for violence, said Congressman Bowman, and pushing for a civil war. That's what's at stake right now. Now, why would the Republicans start a civil war if they win the majority They'd be in charge of the legislative branch of government. They would have a, a hammer lock, a headlock on the executive branch of government. So who's starting this civil war that Jamal Bowman is throwing around? I think every time a politician uses the term civil war, they should be forced to fly to a country. And I don't mean on a junket. I mean they should be dropped off like, you know, naked and afraid, right? They should be dropped off in some hellhole third world country that's having a civil war leave them there for 30 days give them a roll of duct tape and a bottle of water and then pick them up and see if they still want to throw that term around it's a serious freaking term and what is it that you're exactly trying to do when you say that who to whom are you saying that sounds to me like you're telling the people who would lose the midterms that that their response to that should be a civil war have we forgotten what happened, by the way? I guess we have. Five years ago today, James Hodgkinson, remember him? The guy that shot up the baseball practice, the congressional baseball practice? An attempted mass murder with, with a gun. And remember how 
that story went away so quickly. And remember, as soon as the truth of the would-be killer was discovered that he was a, a Bernie bro, it just wasn't a story anymore. But the other reason it wasn't a story anymore was because they had created him. And they're playing a game of, of, of dare, right? Truth or dare, or brinksmanship, where they step right up to the line. They flirt with violence. And then when it happens, they don't own it. He was just a loner. He was a troubled loner. We need more mental health care in this country, they said. And now they're playing this game with the Supreme Court justices. Does it not seem to you, and I'm just going to say this, that basically their Roe v. Wade strategy is the untimely death of a conservative Supreme Court justice? Does that not seem what they're angling for or hoping for or hoping someone will do? I mean, they'll denounce the hell out of it when it happens, but it seems like they kind of sort of want it to happen. So we have a, an attempted assassin, and admittedly not a very impressive guy, but an attempted assassin of Brett Kavanaugh. Clearly, <laughs> there's no question, a, a creature of, a response to his environment, what he's hearing, what he's consuming. Months and months of reckless rhetoric. And going back to when Kavanaugh was being confirmed and Chuck Schumer was saying that you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price and you won't know what hit you. Those are invitations. And this guy, Rusky, took the invitation. This seems to be their strategy. Tell me where I have it wrong. They're not going to literally put out a contract on Amy Coney Barrett or Brett Kavanaugh. And I w look, if I had heard myself or someone like me saying this five or ten years ago, I'd have said that's beyond the pale, that's too much. But I can't really think of an alternative explanation for what they have been saying and now for what they're not doing. So why is the Attorney General not in, in, you know, enforcing federal law? against demonstrating outside judges' homes? Why is the rhetoric not only not cooling down, but it's heating up civil war? I can't think of another explanation. This group Ruth sent us is astroturfing all the way. Who's financing it? If I'm wrong, tell me, show me that it's spontaneous, that it just spun up out of a spontaneous impulse. I don't believe it. They're not just trying to intimidate these justices. They're, they're hoping for more than that. That's where we are right now. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but this is why when people say negotiate and reach across the aisle and compromise, how do you compromise with this kind of extreme position? Because a compromise means you're giving the other side some of what they want. How, who, who would give people like this even some of what they want. Women who are listening to our show, well, one of them says she's not anymore, but I'm going to pretend she still is. And she says uh, both of them were upset at the tampon reference. Look, I didn't. You, you can be mad at me, but I'm not the reason they're out of uh, stock at the store. I'm just pointing it out. You know, I'm just, I'm the messenger. 
So getting mad at me won't do anything. And I, I'm, I'm sure it is a problem, and I'm sure it's not a laughing matter if you need them. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's coming around to everything. I was reading a story about um, uh, what's going to happen with diesel trucks. We're going to talk about this a little bit later on. It's going to happen. With, you're you're going to learn a lot about the supply chain you never needed to know before. But I'm just the messenger. I have nothing to do with it. 210-599-5555. Um, yeah, I, I think that we all see the, the deterioration of, of President Biden um, and and it's tempting, whether out of mercy or out of political considerations, to say, well, there's no way, he's a, he's a one-term president, there's no way they're going to run him again. I, I, I would remind you that there are robust reasons for running him again. And that is that running him worked the last time. Okay? You can't take a guy that you've told the American people got the most votes anyone ever got, 81 million votes, 10 million more or 11 million more than Barack Obama, the most popular recent Democratic president got. You can't tell them. And and even though we have this guy, and he's a spry 83 or whatever he'll be at that point, we're just not going to run him. We're just not going to do it. We're going to hold him back. They're going to run him. I, I hope he doesn't pass away or have a debilitating episode. Barring those things, they're going to run him. So it's not about his decline. I'm not arguing with you on that. You're right about that. I'm not. You don't need to convince me. Jackie's falling apart. Can't you see it? I do. I do see it. But I also know that they can't put their cards on the table. They can't run the people that are actually the true believers in the stuff they're trying to get done. Scare the hell out of voters. They they almost need him now more than they did in 2020, if you can imagine that. And then it, let's say that Trump runs. Of course they're going to run him against Trump. I mean, what else can they do? And this kind of goes back to Biden, uh, excuse me, this kind of goes back to Obama and Hillary Clinton. They made sure that there was no bench. They made sure that there were no rising stars. The, the model of sort of developing a bench, right? Grooming up and coming. They made sure that wasn't there. And now it isn't there. And the young Turks of the Democratic Party are radicals, are people to the left of Rachel Maddow, are people that that are are that, that can't hide who they are, and what they've said and what they are for, and Biden is the guy who can put that. Oh well, it it, it can't be that bad. Face on it. I'm not predicting he'll win. I'm just telling you they're going to run him. Today's JR poll on Flag Day 2022. Do you expect the Democrats will run the president again in 2024? Will they run Joe Biden again in 2024? Terry writes to Jack at KTSA.com. No, I don't think he'd be mentally capable by then. His decline is fast and furious. And uh, Edward writes to Jack at KTSA.com from Kerrville. He's deteriorating too fast. His conversation is getting really confused. When you watch him walk, he's not aware of the cameras. He's almost totally shuffling. He may want to run, 
and the Dems may want him to run, but he won't last that long. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I think a lot of people will say that. I'd like to hear what you think. Um, do you think they're going to run him again? All the signs point to what Edward and Terry are saying, plus the economy, plus everything else. But, but you got to remember one thing. He served his purpose to them in 2020. And they need to pull that off again in 2024. They need to hide the ball. They need to, to conceal a radical agenda. They need somebody who's not scary. They need somebody who's not threatening. If the worst thing people think about this, this president is that he's elderly or doddering, that's a lot better in their mind, in their mind, okay, than he's a socialist or he's going to take away all the cars, or he's going to take away all the guns. I'm not making the case for the guy, don't get me wrong. I'm telling you, I think this is how they think. Now, I'm not a big fan of political polls, but I've been watching the polls in the governor's race, and I just what I've noticed is that Governor Abbott is pulling away uh, from Beta. From Betafish, he's he's the the lead is getting bigger. Here's one from uh, which one is this? I guess this is the Blueprint poll. I don't know who they are. Blueprintpolling.com uh, shows a 19 point lead for Abbott. Here's my point. Again, polls can mean anything. They can say anything, but there is no polling that I have seen that indicates that that stunt that O'Rourke pulled in Uvalde has done anything but tank his numbers. Remember when he went and heckled the governor? You haven't done anything! Yeah, well, he didn't do anything for himself. He made himself look stupid. He embarrassed himself. And so, before that, he was single digits behind. Now, in every survey I've looked at, he's double digits behind. In a school district in the Phoenix area... Students were given a series of questionnaires or questions on a questionnaire about their sexuality, including the question, how do you know you're straight? This is out of the Scottsdale Unified School District. And it was a program to discuss sexual orientation with students, according to emails released by the Arizona Daily Independent. The curriculum was created by a group called Anytown Learning. And it lists discussion questions on sexual orientation. What caused your heterosexuality? How did you decide you were heterosexual? Why are heterosexual relationships so unstable? Have you considered that your heterosexuality is a phase you'll grow out of? And they even ask this question, considering the menace of global overpopulation... How could the human race survive if everyone were heterosexual? This is the worksheet they gave students in Scottsdale, Arizona. Anytown Learning is described as a human relations organization dedicated to educating, embracing, empowering leaders to promote social change. Um, What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Questions like, if you've never slept with a person of the same sex, is it possible all you need is a good gay lesbian lover? (laughs) 
These are the questions. I'm not an educator. Can someone educate me as to how this is education? It's a free country. You, you can sit around and talk about this stuff with your friends. In what construct does this belong in school? What, what educational umbrella would this fall under? And imagine, as I was reading the questionnaire, I mean, I could keep going. There's a bunch of questions. There's like 16 questions. As I was reading the questionnaire, I was thinking, imagine the outcry, imagine the uproar if we reworked these questions and asked them of gay students. When are you going to grow out of being gay? Maybe you just need a straight lover. I mean, these are the questions. And we send our kids, right? Voluntary, we sent them. How many people are sending their kids to a school that's doing this and don't know? And this isn't the kind of thing, I'm, I, I think if you remember when you were a teenager, this is probably not the kind of thing you would tell your parents about. This is probably the kind of thing you wouldn't want to talk about. But it could be something very confusing to you or upsetting to you or disturbing to you. When did we go from saying, let's respect each student, which I'm fine with, to let's change the ones that are a way we don't like into something we do like? When did, when did that happen? When did we make that decision? 210-599-5555. So I'll talk about that. Of course, we got our poll question going about... Um, the president in 2024. David is calling in on that on 550 and 1071 KTSA. David, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, man. Uh, actually, uh, I I think I agree with you. I've been listening for a couple of minutes just got off work. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, they don't really have any other options. The Democrats don't. Um, but if another option comes up between now and, say, next year, you know, they're going to run whoever they can control and, you know, just, be a puppet because they don't want a real leader like uh, and i even defended barack obama don't get me wrong i think bush was a complete idiot trump i think is a pompous ass but he got things done you know so i'm more conservative leaning leaning um but i was thinking uh wasn't there a rule where the president if the president was democrat the vice president had to be republican wasn't that a thing not too long no. ago? No. That was never a thing? That was never a thing. Oh, maybe that that should be introduced. You know, like, uh, say, like Tulsi Gabbard. I think she would be a great candidate for mm. uh, the Democratic Party, honestly, because she can she can negotiate with uh, conservatives on, you know. Yeah, but you just said, David, level. and I think you were right when you said it, that they want someone they can control. They want someone yeah. who will be a harmless non-threatening face behind which they can conceal very threatening ideas. So you can't have a Tulsi Gabbard because she, she does say what she thinks and shoot from the hip. You can't have a Trump-like right. person. You can't have Barack Obama. You've got to have somebody like Joe Biden who just wants the presidency so badly and has waited so long to get it that he'll go along with anything. I mean, he, he, you know, they could have been, they could have been space aliens, and he would have said, "Yeah, I'll do it." You know, I mean, that's that's where he was at. Yeah, 
I appreciate the call, though, sir. Thank you. Debbie is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Debbie, good afternoon. You looking for Deborah? Uh, I'll take Deborah. Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. I was a school I was a school teacher for 32 years, and uh, school should be reading and writing and math. That's it. Oh, not not uh, sexual orientation. Uh, what, what, are you supposed to Are you supposed to learn about that in school? What? Aren't you supposed to learn about that in school? That's what they tell us. I did in ninth grade PE, and it was from a Christian textbook. And I was not in a Christian school. But other than that, no. And certainly not at the elementary level. I'm sorry. I was being sarcastic, and I didn't mean to insult I you, De- Deborah. I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I do, I do agree with you. It does not belong there. It is, it is, it is personal. It is moral. Schools have already uh, abdicated morality and right and wrong. They've, they've told us they want no part of it. They can't get back in now on certain select things, and that's what they're trying to do. My grandfather went to a to a one room schoolhouse. Never went past third grade, and his third grade uh, literature book looked like my ninth grade, my yeah. ninth grade literature yeah. book. And that's I my point it. on it. And Thank you. State test, forget it. Bye. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah. We got off on the wrong foot with the Debbie thing. That's what it said on the screen. I wasn't trying to be overly friendly. 210-599-5555. The governor of Ohio has just signed a bill to allow teachers to carry guns in the schools with training. It's like the program we have here. HB 99 uh, sets a number of hours of training and other guidelines. Um, it actually reduces the amount of training that they had previously proposed. So it, it streamlines the process by which, by which a willing teacher could get the you know, certification. It, it like Texas, it would still be up to school districts to decide whether or not they wanted to have armed faculty. Um, I continue to f- have mixed feelings about this idea. I, I'm not against a teacher who wants to be and is capable of being armed. I'm not against that at all because I want a good guy with a gun. I am not content to just say that's the answer. Oh, well, now we've solved the problem. No, no, that's that's really not a very good answer if that's the best we can do on short notice i'll take it but then we have to keep going you know it still amazes me that after uvalde and so many other school shootings we are still talking about everything but simply hardening the target itself We want to have a national conversation about guns. But no matter what you propose about guns, no matter what any side proposes to do about guns, the the benefits of it, if there are any, would be years in the future. It takes a long time to to spool out that kind of reform to see if it has the effect on behavior and availability of guns and all these things that you think it will have, red flag laws, all this stuff. That'll take years. Even if you're for it, you're fervently for it, you got to admit I'm right about this, it'll take years. The next school shooting could be a month from now, or two months from now, or in the next school year. You know, there was a, I came across a famous, uh, a quote from a famous writer, Samuel Johnson. 
He said this hundreds of years ago. If a madman were to come into this room with a stick in his hand, no doubt we should pity the state of his mind. But our primary consideration would be to take care of ourselves. We should knock him down first and pity him afterwards. That's what we should be doing right now. We need to knock down the man with the stick. We need to make sure kids can't be shot. So once you've done that, come at me with the ideas about people and guns and mental health and waiting lists and waiting time. And, but knock down the man with the stick. So here's an interesting way to look at this. The other day, the Department of Homeland Security put out a bulletin. It warned of um, domestic violence, terror in the heartland. It singled out copycat uh, attacks like the attack on Robb Elementary School. If the threat, and this is DHS, okay, if the threat officially is that people are trying to do this kind of thing, or things just like this, then why isn't the immediate response the hardening of the targets, the locations, the, the likely targets? Why are we having a hypothetical conversation about guns and society and resources for this and long-term plans for that? It, 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 this is not how you deal with what they are describing as an imminent threat. Okay. You know, I, I go back to 9-11, and I, I, I hope we never have another 9-11 in our lifetime or in anyone's lifetime. But there was a hard-nosed pragmatism to saying we're going to harden the, the door to the cockpit. You aren't going to be able to get into that cockpit. We're going to have five different redundant ways in which the cockpit is secured. And that didn't even take into account the other thing that we all knew, but no one really wanted to say out loud, which was that after Flight 93, no group of passengers on any airline going anywhere was ever going to sit still for guys that were taking over the plane. We don't even sit still for people that are pitching a fit or, <laughs> you know, mouthing off at the flight attendants. It's not going to happen. And we're not doing that. We're not having that Flight 93 pragmatism. We're not having that harden the cockpit door, no how, no way, no one gets in. We're not doing that with schools. We're not doing that in the place. There was just a, an attempted shooting at a summer camp here in Texas. And only by, I think, luck did the police arrive in time to shoot the guy, but, but he, he was intent on going in. So I just... I think we have to think about it like Samuel Johnson. Madman with a stick. Knock him down now. Pity him afterwards. Analyze it afterwards. Debate it, discuss it, dissect it afterwards. You knock him down. He doesn't get to his victims. He can't get to his victims. This seems to me, and I, I'm just a guy on the radio, this seems to me not only obvious, but it seems like if a political candidate or politician made this his or her central message, they would be embraced.
across the board. This is what people are waiting to hear. I wonder why. Dennis, can I be random for a minute? Hey, like, you know, just, uh, like, sure. He's like, he's like, for a minute. For a minute. When are you not? Um, we had this at the, we had this at the end of the show last night, and I just I I still can't get over it. Yesterday was the uh, anniversary of the day in 1920 that the U.S. Post Office banned the shipping of children. Oh, which means that until then, so up until June 13th, 1920, you could and people did mail their children. Though in theory, a little bit of a stretch, in theory, you could still do the same thing when you buy your kid a plane ticket. Well, they're sitting in a seat. Yeah, I mean, they can watch the movie. Yeah. (laughs) There are other people. I mean, this was putting them in a box that said live animal. (laughs) Did it really say live animal? Yes. Okay. In fact, the announcement from the Postal Service explained that um, they no longer considered children harmless animals. And you could continue to mail animals, apparently. You just couldn't mail children under the same, I guess, set of rules. So the... I don't know when they stopped letting you mail animals. Maybe they still do. I, don't, I haven't tried to mail an animal. Yeah, I haven't tried but either. But, but so... Mailing... A child. So, actually, that brings up the other question, which is the 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 why was it was it banned because the children were too dangerous, or mm. was it because they realized mm. that it's probably not a humane thing to do to your child? Was it dangerous to the children, or were the children dangerous? Yeah, because oh. you know they're like, hey, you know, they're, they're not considered to be safe, I guess, yeah. livestock or I don't know. I, don't know. I I um, I guess we. I guess we had what was consi- what we now call free-range parenting back then. You know, like, you know, kids were... I was reading a, a book about a guy who, when he was four years old, he stood out on a street corner in Brooklyn and sold newspapers. We wouldn't let a four-year-old stand on a street corner without somebody holding his hand today, much less let, let him sell newspapers. So I guess that, that, was, that was the ultimate free-range parenting. You put them in a box, you cut some holes, and they get delivered to Grandma's house. Yeah. So. So thank goodness we have Southwest Airlines so that we don't have to mail the kids away for the summer anymore. 510 on KTSA. So I, I was reading about something called diesel exhaust fluid. I knew it existed, but I didn't know a lot about it. You know about it if you have a diesel. Every diesel truck is required to use this this um, liquid, this, this uh, fluid that is two parts urea and one part deionized water. And it's kept in a separate tank, and you have to maintain a level of it or else a diesel truck will not run there are regulators that mix the diesel uh exhaust fluid with uh other things and it's it's been the law for many years it's supposed to reduce emissions it's the purpose of it it's just something you know about if you have a diesel and it's something you don't know about if you don't well guess what the supply of it is running out and the companies that service the trucking fleets are waving their arms up and jumping up and down, waving their arms, saying, look, um, shipments are way down, imports are way down. Uh, if we don't resolve this soon, thousands and thousands of 18-wheelers will be parked. This could happen in a matter of weeks. If that happens, according to federal statistics, 
The trucking industry transports over three-quarters of all goods shipped in the country. Okay? So this will affect you. This will affect me. We don't have to be diesel operators or have a diesel vehicle in our driveway. This is, this is another one of these things. We were talking about the tampon shortage. We talked in the past about the baby formula shortage. This is another one of those things that people in the know have known about and have sounded the alarm on. But because of the political class that we have now, because we're governed by people that have never run anything, that have never done anything but politics, but government, they're not, they're not getting it. They're not hearing it. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they apprehend what this will mean. And if they have stocks, they're, un- they're unloading them, and if they need to make other But I'm just saying they don't care about things working because making things work has never been what they do. I'm not saying that only business people should be in government or politics, but we need a hell of a lot more of them. Because when you wave the, the flag, when you sound the alarm, to people in the know, they 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 get the threat. They know that matters. See, when you're when you're in public life, one of the things that happens is you are constantly being um, petitioned and assaulted, not physically assaulted, but you're you're constantly being bombarded by people telling you that their thing, their axe to grind, their issue, their cause is the most important thing ever. Got to do it. Most important right now. I get a little taste of it with just the email I get. There's hundreds and hundreds of single-issue activists. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. You must talk about this. You've got to do a show about this. You must have me on. You must talk about this. Now, I'm just a guy on the radio. Imagine senators and Congress critters, how many of these they get. And every one of them has their hair on fire. You have to have some idea of which ones are important. Diesel exhaust fluid shortage could be disastrous. There are workarounds, apparently. But will this government agree to them? Will they, will they agree to a workaround? Will they agree to a hack? Or will the EPA block it? Because remember, that's what happened with all these other shortages. When it got down to crunch time on baby formula, when it got down to crunch time on other things, people in the industry went to government and they said, all right, look, the only way we can escape disaster here is if you'll waive these regulations, if you'll cut through this red tape. Nope, not going to do it. Go back to COVID. That was what happened with with, uh, the, the test shortage. The CEO of Chevron was uh, interviewed recently. This was about a week ago. His name is Michael Worth. He predicted that there will never be another oil refinery built in the United States. Now, we've talked on this show extensively about the refinery shortage, about the problem with buying oil from Saudis or Iran or Russia or Venezuela, is that we, we, even if you have more oil, you don't have more refining. And he said the reason he doesn't think there will be a new refinery built in the country is government. Quote, We live in a world where the policy, the stated policy of the U.S. government is to reduce demand for the products that refiners 
produce. Current policy, government, he says, reduces the demand for oil, is to reduce the demand for oil, making it very hard for a company where investments have a payout period of a decade or more. He asked a rhetorical question. How do you go to your board, how do you go to your shareholders, and say we're going to spend billions of dollars on new capacity in a market where policy is taking you in the other direction? I read that to mean he knows we need it, they want to build it, but they can't. We're in a government-imposed shortage of everything that we're in a shortage of. And then a German economist named Hans Werner Sinn studied the transition to green energy, which is going much faster in Europe than it is here. It's worth knowing what's happening there because it's the precursor of what's going to happen here. And he says there are several major problems with Green New Deal policies. And I won't go into all the details, but basically he says a lot of these international agreements like the Paris Accord are non-binding, meaning most of the nations in the world won't do it, won't cut back. They get a pass. We'll be the, we'll be the idiots impoverishing ourselves and breaking ourselves. They won't be. And then he said We've, we now have enough time with wind and sun to see that it's too volatile a supply to assure an affordable and reliable stream of power. Even, he said, if we double our current wind and solar capacity, the volatility of that will always be suspect, will always be unreliable. And then he says, um, we're squeezing out innovation in the auto industry. We're forcing them into one model, electric. We're not allowing for competition. You know, of course, competition would lead to the best outcome, would lead to the most affordable, you build a better mousetrap outcome. We're not letting that happen, he says. And then he points out that electric cars are not really clean. Over their lifetime, electric cars emit more CO2 than conventional combustion engines. The reason is what generates the electricity that goes into those electric cars. I want to play this for you. We played it a while back. This happened about a year and a half ago. It was an executive at GM. She's in Flint, Michigan. She's demoing an electric car, uh, like a concept car. And she gets a question about where the power comes from. And this, to me, sums up the whole, the whole issue in a nutshell. Cut number three. Listen to this. No, the battery in this particular design is a T-shape right down the center and across the back seat area. Because everybody thought we killed the electric vehicle. No, we didn't. It's alive and well. So what's charging the, the batteries right now? What, where, where, what's the source of a? Well, here. It's, it's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it, um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't, I don't know. Hold on. There, uh, stop the tape. So she's, She's asked what power, what's, what's charging the car. She says the building is charging the car. Electricity just comes out of the building. Is that what they really think? That electrical outlets are just like wells and there's just a, a, a pool of electricity at the bottom of the well? You just draw from the... 
So then he says, no, I mean, where, where, where is the power that this building uses generated? She says, oh, I really don't know. I think it's natural gas. And then the next voice you're going to hear is the guy that runs the local utility. Listen to this. So I don't, I don't know. They're, uh... I bet you they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas, aren't they? Uh, right now the car is charging off of your grid. Right. It would be charging off uh, our grid, which is nine, about 95% coal. 95% coal. When you see an electric car, you need to see a coal-powered car. I'm not trying to tell you what to buy or dissuade you. It's not up to me to do that. It's none of my business. But this is the truth. This is, this is being honest. Let's just be honest about it. And then let people do what they want to do. And let the companies build what people want to buy. Is that so hard? You know, there's so many great, there's so many great songs with heat or hot in the title. I mean, I think that might be one of my favorites right there because I love Glenn Fry and I love that song and I love Beverly Hills Cop. But there's so many good heat and hot songs, you know, Cool in the Gang, Too Hot, Martha and the Vandellas, Heat Wave, Some Like It Hot, Power Station, Hot in Here, Nelly. So I want to know what is your favorite song with hot or heat? In the title. Favorite song with hot or heat in the title. And I might even play it for you. 210 599 5555. We got Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. We got um, Hot Blooded by Foreigner, right? So many. Can be any, uh, you know, it can be country, can be rock, can be whatever. Hot Legs, Rod Stewart, Hot for Teacher. 210-599-5555, your favorite song with heat or hot in the title. Hit me with another one, Don. You got so many good ones. Um, and we'll talk about that. We're going to get to some of your calls about that, and we'll get to your votes on the JR poll as well here on KTSA. I was just uh, looking at an email from uh, Scott to Jack at KTSA.com. We were talking about uh, diesel exhaust fluid, and he was pointing out that that is also a uh, important component to a large number of fire trucks across the country. So just think, if they're running out of this fluid that the government requires for the operation of diesel trucks, think of all the diesel trucks, diesel vehicles, emergency vehicles, cargo hauling, long haul, local delivery that will be parked. Not because we're out of diesel fuel, but because we're out of the other thing that they need to go. And the diesel fuel picture doesn't look so great either. We're, we're, we're drawing down that reserve. The president's going to announce another drawdown of the SPR for conventional gasoline. That the first drawdown did not make a dent in prices. Five thirty-seven on KTSA. All right, it's it's hot. There's heat, right? So, what's your favorite song with hot or heat in the title? 
We're making a list. 210-599-5555. That's Power Station. Some like it hot. Was that about 1985, 86, something like that done? Um, 210-599-5555. You can also email me, jack at com with your favorite song with hot or heat in the title. And Kevin is on KTSA on the Jack Riccardi Show. Kevin, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going, Jack? I got a song for you. Long, hot summer day, Turnpike Troubadours. Turnpike Troubadours? Yeah, what kind of music country. is that? Texas country? Okay. Don, do we have a piece yes, of that? Sir. Let's listen to that. Let's hear what that sounds like. I got me a gal in Pekin. She's a good old gal, okay. Oh, she's sitting there waiting by a window fan on a long, hot summer day. All right, Kevin, thank you for introducing us to the Turnpike Troubadours. That's Kevin's favorite song with hot in the title, 210 599 5555. Jennifer says, Hot, hot, hot by The Cure. There's been a lot of songs with hot, 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 right? Um, they're not all the same song either. Um, hot and Cold, Katy Perry says, Sandy. Um, Ronnie says, Too Hot to Trot by The Commodores. Got a couple of votes for Nelly. Hot in here. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> Which it is. 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. We can go old school, right? We can Donna Summer, hot stuff, too hot, cool in the gang. Uh can be more recent. You know, a great song that I I heard the other day, I hadn't heard it in years, was um Hot Rod Hearts. Do you remember that song? 1980, Robbie Dupree. Hot Rod Hearts. He was the guy that did Steal Away. You've heard Steal Away. And it's one of those big, big radio hits. But this was this was his other hit that doesn't get played very much. Hot Rod Hearts. Pretty good song. 210-599-5555. And let's see where we're going here. Chris is on KTSA. We're looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. Hi, Chris. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, let's uh, try Hot for Teacher. Oh, Van Halen. Van Halen, yeah. Very Back nice. Back in the good old days. You can't you can't do better than Van Halen in the 80s. I like that. 210-599-5555. And that one puts me in mind of the one John is calling in on. When I think of Van Halen, I think of this guy, this artist as well. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing? Good. What do you got for okay, us? I have, I have two of them since you mentioned Hot and Heat. The first okay. one is Hot Child in the City by Mick Gilder. Yes. And then the other one is, being it's Pride Month, Sylvester's Dance Disco Heat. Oh, I love Sylvester. Mm-hmm. Whatever, ha- whatever happened to, I know Sylvester's no longer with us, but whatever happened to that music on the radio, right? Well, that, that's, that's because of what's his name over at Comiskey Park. <laughs> oh, I don't think you can blame him. I don't think, I mean, there's still disco on the radio, but uh, yeah, no, Sylvester was a great, flamboyant, Probably ahead of his time, uh, a disco star. And, yeah, those those are two really good choices. Love Nick Gilder, too. John, thank you for that. Um, there you go. Hot Child in the City. Or you can, or if you want, you can just do Hot in the City, right? Billy Idol. Shorten it up. 210-599-5555. All right, it has to have hot or heat in the title. 
And David is on KTSA. Hi, David. Yes, sir. How are you doing, sir? Good to hear from you. Good. Oh, thank you. Good. Same here. Hot-Blooded Foreigner. Oh, that is a great song. Hot-Blooded by Foreigner. You know, they still, they're still touring. Have you, have you ever seen them in concert? Uh, I'm a real big Lou Graham fan, so I've kind of discouraged oh, myself yeah. from going to see yeah. it with a new singer. You wanted you wanted to see it back when Lou Grant, yeah. I, I I've, oh, it's one of those bands I've so always good. said one of these days I'm going to go see them, and I never have. I've never seen them in concert, but that would be great, uh, David. That's a good one. Thank you. Hot blooded by Foreigner from the '70s. Looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. It's got to have hot or heat in the title. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Hot blooded by Foreigner. Hot legs by Rod Stewart. Hot for Teacher. Hot fun in the summertime, Sly and the Family Stone. I'm just looking at my email here, seeing what people are, are coming up with. Um, let's see, this one is uh, JP, The Heat is On from Beverly Hills Cop. Yep, we just played that. Um, you can give me yours at 210-599-5555, or you can email me, jack at ktsa.com. Lee says, how about Hot Legs by Rod Stewart? A great song. the first time Nelly's been on KTSA, so proud of that. 549, Jack Riccardi, 550 and 1071, KTSA. We're looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. And uh, getting a lot of great ones uh, via email, uh, and I appreciate that. You know, I, I I had not thought of it today, but this is actually one of my favorite Brian Adams songs. He had a big hit in 87 called Heat of the Night. And it won the Canadian version of the Grammy for Song of the Year when it came out. It was a big hit for Brian Adams. Heat of the Night. The lyrics include these lines, I was caught in the crossfire of a silent scream where one man's nightmare is another man's dream. I don't know what that means, but I like it. I'm, I'm, those are words to live by. All right, songs with... <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Songs with hot or heat. Heat of the moment. Asia, says Jose. Uh, hot Rod Lincoln, says Doug. Hot stuff. Donna Summer. Got a lot of calls and emails for that. Uh, let's see. Charles is on KTSA. Hi, Charles. Well, good afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon. Somebody actually took one of my songs, which was Heat of the Moment by Asia, but then I had a secondary, which is yeah. Hot, Hot, Hot by David Johansson, a.k.a. Buster Poindexter. That is a great song. Those are both good songs, but I'm glad you mentioned Buster Poindexter because that's such a cool song, and I'm surprised <laughs> really? we haven't already played that. That is, that's a really good yeah. one. Yeah, so don't Perfect. mind that they took yours because yours were both good. Thank you, Charles. Asia, and, Heat of the Jack. Moment, and Buster Poindexter, Hot, Hot, Hot. All right. Thank you very much, Charles. 210-599-5555. Is it Lamone? Am I saying it right? Yes. Hey, Lamone. Yes. Hey, this is Lamone. I was Hot Rod, Black Oak, Arkansas, Jim Dandy. Hold on a second. Can you turn your radio down? Because I think it's throwing you. Oh, yes. 
Yes. That's what's making you. That's what's making it confusing. Hot rod. Hot rod by who? Black Oak, Arkansas. Black Oak, Arkansas. Okay, that's right. I forgot all about that. What made you think of that? What What in the world made you think of that? I have a hot rod. I have a 1976 Corvette Stingray, baby. Oh, I'd say that is. I'd say that's even more than a hot rod. I love that. Very nice. A 76 Corvette. All right, Lamone, pull off the T-tops and drive around in that listening to Black Oak, Arkansas. And there you go. All right. Don, our buttons are sticking. Just so you know, you'll have to take those over for us. Okay. Did you get that? 210-599-5555. It's so hot, the buttons are sticking. No, I can't make that excuse. They stick in all kinds of weather. Um. So we're looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. Um, I just heard from Ken Slavin, our good friend Ken Slavin. He was remembering the old Cole Porter song, It's Too Darn Hot. And he says, I used to sing that a lot in my live performances, and that is a great song, great Cole Porter. So we can take any category, any kind of music, any era, hot or heat in the title. And Grant is on KTSA. Hi, Grant. Good afternoon, Jack. How's your day going? It's going. How are you, sir? I'm not bad at all. Just trying to stay cool like everyone else. Yeah. Let's go with it. some Rod Stewart, Hot Legs. Hot Legs. He had a lot of, he had a lot of good songs for this kind of weather, I think. And now Hot Legs is a great choice. Thank you, Grant. Good one. 210-599-5555. You as well, sir. 210-599-5555 or Jack at KTSA. Dot com. All right, so we'll do some more of these. We're looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. Um, I was trying to think of some others that I like or, or that we've played before, like Heat Wave by Martha and the Vandellas. Weezer, a band I really like, um, has a couple that I'm, I'm blanking on the titles of. I know there's a couple that I think of summer when I hear them, but I'm not sure if hot or heat is in the title. i uh, got to have hot or heat. In the title, Billy Idol, Hot in the City. We've had some people mention that. Um, so any era, any kind of artist, 210-599-5555. Tony is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Tony. Whoop, we just lost Tony. Um, you know what, Don? I think these phones are fried. I don't think we can. You're going to have to run them because they're not, it's not working for me at all. You're just going to have to take them. So uh, let's try line number three. David, are you there? Hey, Jack, how are you? I'm good. How are you, David? Good. When you're hot, you're hot. Well, thank you. I uh, yeah. I agree. <laughs> Jerry Reed. There you go. All right. Good one with hot in the title. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the call. 210-599-5555. Uh, we'll grab a couple more here before we run out of time in the hour. Um, a lot of great emails. Thanks to everybody that emailed. Hot Rod Lincoln. Pat Travers, says Walter. We had uh, Hot Rod Heart by Robbie Dupree. We actually had a couple of them for Hot Rod Lincoln. Um, Mark Chestnut's song, Too Hot to Fish and Too Cold at Home. All right. I think that's about the weather, is it? Um, what else do we have here? Donna Summer, Hot Stuff. A lot of people with uh, kind of the disco era. Uh, hot in the City. Hot Child in the City. Let's see what Henry has on KTSA, 210-599-5555. Nope, we lost Henry. All right, Don, you'll have to take them because if I pick them up here, it disconnects them, okay? 
So try um, try uh, line number four. Let's see, Eric, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, <laughs> that something All right. works. Uh, listen, hey, yeah, finally. Hey, uh, what about hot for teacher Van Halen? Hot for teacher Van Halen, yes. Remember that. It seemed like back then you could sing about that without it being so uh, politically touchy, right? <laughs> couldn't well, you probably couldn't come out with that song today? Yeah, you probably couldn't do that song today. All right, sir. Thank you. That's a good one. I appreciate it. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five or Jack at KTSA dot com. Um, Hot wire my heart. Sonic Youth says Bobby. That's a good one. Uh, Hot like fire. Aaliyah says Susie. Thank you. Some like it hot. Power Station. Yeah, we played that one a little while ago. Um, Hot Shot by Karen Young. I remember that. I haven't heard that in a while. All right, what do you got for us? Let's try Lori on KTSA. All right, Lori, we're looking for songs with hot or heat in the title. What about hot-blooded? I just can't remember who sings it. Hot-blooded. I'm blanking. Is it Foreigner, maybe? Yeah, it's I think you're right. It's Foreigner, yeah. 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 It is foreigner, and I think we might have—I think we might have even mentioned it earlier. But you're right; it that's a great one, good one, Laurie. Well, thank you. you. Appreciate it. You have a good night. Um, I think I have time for one or two more. Let's go with whoever you can quickly pull up there. No, go with John. All right, John on line four. Hi, John. Hey there. How are you, Zach? <laughs> well, if I can get my phones to work, I'll be a lot better. I. I uh, I chose to use the phones at a moment that it's not working. But anyway, what is the song with hot or heat in the title? Hot Patootie by Meatloaf from the Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show. I, lo- I actually love that song. That is a fun song. The whole thing, look, that whole production is fun, right? You, you got to go to a movie yeah. theater where everybody's acting it out and you've got the toast and all that stuff. Absolutely. That's a good one, John. Thank you. Thanks to everybody who called. I'm sorry we got to... Cut it short, but we're going to have to figure out what's going on with the uh, phone system. All right. Well, you know, we have something in common today with Congress, Dennis. Oh, we're not popular? <laughs> Speak for yourself. Yeah, that's probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I was going to say, didn't they cancel the um, the January 6th hearings because they were having technical issues? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it's So, um, yeah. See, they're having technical issues. We're having technical issues. See, they're like they're just like us. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. 210-599-5555, he said with a chuckle in his voice. <laughs> but I think it's I think we've resolved it. We tested it during the news and uh it seems to be working well. So I can say that with confidence. You can call, we'll talk. Um so it's interesting to look at the messaging that's coming out of the mouths of the politicians these days. If you think about it. They're telling us two things that can't both be true. They're telling us that gas prices are high and food inflation is painful and uh, we're really sorry about running out of tampons and baby formula and diesel exhaust fluid. But then they're also telling us things are great. This is the strongest economy since World War II. We're doing very, very well. One of uh, the president's top economic advisors went on CNN today and said that, you know, Americans need to take a step back. This is what he said. Americans need to take a step back 
and realize that they're doing very well. Very, very well were his exact words. Do you feel like you're doing very, very well? I mean, only one of those things can be true. Either they're empathetic and they're scrambling to get more you know, relief to the American people. And the president again today said in his AFL-CIO speech, I'm doing everything in my power to lower the price at the pump. If that's true, then it can't also be true that things are going extremely well. Never better. Strongest economy ever. 210-599-5555. They asked uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre a question about the economy, and she gave out a big sigh. She's new to the job, and even she's already tired of trying to carry water for this administration. So in a normal time, economist Larry Summers says we'll have a recession before 2024. In a normal time, it would be a foregone conclusion that Joe Biden is a one-term president. And I'm not even getting into the visible, obvious, steady decline of his public capabilities. I mean, not to to mention what he must be like in private or in negotiations with foreign leaders. He's going to Saudi Arabia. But just what we see is, is troubling. It's disturbing. It's the kind of stuff that in another era would have been completely concealed from the public. A president this debilitated would have been would have been hidden away somewhere. And and people would have been fine with that. No television, no live appearances. We wouldn't know. But we see him on television. We see him in front of audiences. We see him struggle. We see him lock up and freeze up. We see him struggle to read the words of his own speeches. He cannot explain that away and we cannot pretend it's not happening in a normal time that too would make him a one-term president so why is jack asking the question on the jr poll do you think do you expect the democrats will run him again in 2024 and i think they will if he is around in 2024 and i'm i'm not wishing any ill on him i think they will run him i think they have to run him You can't not run the guy that got the most votes ever gotten, according to them. You can't run the guy that got 11 million more votes than Barack Obama ever got. Heck, if they could run Barack Obama again, they would have run him again. They'd still be running him if it wasn't against the term limits in the Constitution. So there's there's a problem with not running him just in terms of your narrative. He's, he's, you know, he's the FDR of our times. He's the LBJ of our times. He's so popular. He's Mount Rushmore material. They're going to squeeze him in on the left or squeeze him in on the right or maybe just blow up one of the faces on there and put Joe Biden in his place. Then the second reason you have to run him again is that you have to conceal the radicalism of the people behind him. So whether it's Valerie Jarrett, Susan Rice, these other uh, extreme left-wing progressives, we talked about this yesterday, people that are so wedded to theory that they don't care about practice or what's really happening, they cannot and will not admit that, that this stuff doesn't work. 
It has to work. Pain? No, just transition. High prices? No, just transition. Shortages? This is a glorious transition. They have to run him. Unless they have somebody else just like him that can be that non-threatening face. So I think they are going to run him again. I think when he says he's running in 2024, that may be how he feels, but I think the people that are actually making the decision, the people that actually made the decision to run him in 2020, are going to have to run him again. Again, unless he is literally not there. What are they going to do? Kamala Harris? Michelle Obama? Oprah Winfrey? Is there someone more obvious than those three? Those would seem to be the most obvious remaining choices. No, no offense, but those that's three people that have pretty much already ruled out running. What about somebody we don't even know, somebody we're not even talking about? Yeah, maybe. So I'll put it to you this way. They're running him again unless they come up with a better option that checks the boxes I just listed. It's got to be somebody that's non-threatening, that seems old school and he's not going to do anything too crazy. They want the Green New Deal, but they don't want somebody that's too abrasive and out front with it. When he talks about it, he doesn't even sound like he quite gets it. So it, it doesn't scare the voter in the middle, you know. I think of people I know that voted for him because they said, well, he just wanted things to calm down. And you can laugh about that, but that, that, I think that explains a lot of the people that voted for him. What do you think? Do you think they'll run him again? 210 599 we um, we didn't have the hearings today for January sixth committee. They're going to have them tomorrow. They couldn't play kangaroo court today. Um, I hear people talking about the television audience for these hearings. In fact, I heard somebody. I think it was on one of the morning shows this morning. Uh, they were interviewing some political person, and she actually used the word target audience the target audience for the January 6th hearing. Now, target audience is a term in my business. It refers to the, you know, the bullseye, right? Like if you're programming a radio station or a radio show, there's a a wide variety of people that could listen, but there's a kind of listener you are particularly aiming for. If you're in music radio, it's very specific. You look for a very specific slice. You want women between 25 and 34. You want you know, men between 18 and 49 or whatever it is, you get very specific. You look at zip codes, you look at income levels, you, you, you narrow cast. They talk about this like it's a television show, because it is. The people that have tuned in have tuned in to a kangaroo court. Okay. You're drinking from the bottle if you're watching this. I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not just drinking Kool-Aid. You're drinking right from the bottle. It's a showcase of Trump derangement syndrome and the humorlessness and constipation of the two Republicans on the committee.
There's so much wrong with the January 6th hearings, it's hard for me to even know where to begin. The only people watching it are the people drinking it down whole. They want you to believe that this is a moral crusade, that this is a moral high ground, that they are, they are the fearless defenders of democracy, but everything about it is questionable. It has a credibility problem. It had one from the start when it wouldn't accept um, the, the Republican side's appointed members. So the only two members are the two never-Trumpers, Kinzinger and Cheney, and the rest are all Democrats. They've been caught altering and quoting out of context memos and text messages, which, if taken in full, exonerate Trump and Pence on January 6, 2021, but when distorted, appear to indict them. And so when the truth wasn't incriminating... They doctored the facts. You would think, by the way, that people that have had four years to lie about Donald Trump would be better at it now than they are, but they're not. And people know that while they are zeroing in and looking at a, you know, looking through a soda straw at the events of January 6, 2021, these same people seem oblivious or uncaring about the actual assault on democracy going on right now with, for example, Supreme Court justices. Or the distortion and fraud involved in our voting. You can say, I don't think Biden stole the election, he won it fair and square, but you can't deny that there are numerous and substantial irregularities in voting. Dead people voting, multiple voting, um, you know, ineligible registered voters, problems with mail-in ballots, problems with lost ballots, problems with incomplete ballots being counted, efforts to make it even more hinky and unreliable than it already is, insisting that we have to keep what was supposed to be temporary about the 2020 voting. So people see all that. They see all of the ignorance of the rioting in the summer of 2020 they see the fact that we don't appear to be taking seriously what's about to happen when the supreme court hands down the dobbs decision which could come as early as thursday and this television show is not flying so you can look at the glass as half full or half empty you can say well 20 million people watch this a lot of people who are they what did they already think about this before they tuned in? We're going to talk about all that. And we're going to talk about our poll question powered by Stevens Roofing. Do you think the Democrats will renominate the president? 210-599-5555. I guess you could say that about Donald Trump, too. That would have been a joke at one time. Um, do you think they'll run President Biden for re-election in 2024? It's, it's extremely unusual to not renominate a president. We've had one-term presidents. Jimmy Carter was a one-term president. Donald Trump was a one-term president. Uh, George H.W. Bush was a one-term president. But no matter how bleak things looked, their parties renominated them. It takes a lot of splaining by a political party to not renominate the guy you nominated four years earlier. It's like saying you were wrong. And all the reasons people cite, he's failing, he's faltering, his health, he's too old, those were all true in 2020. So they'd have to 
tacitly admit that they shouldn't have run him. They had 19 candidates. Governors, senators, people that were household names. They had Bernie Sanders. They still do. So they're going to run him again, unless he is literally not with us anymore. And I'm not saying I wish for that or hope for that at all. I don't wish for that on anybody. They're going to run him again, I think. Tell me what you think, though. 210-599-5555. You might not not convince me, but I'd still like to hear your your other side of this if you think, no, 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 Jack, I know who it's going to be. It's not going to be him, or I know it's not going to be him, but I'm not sure who it will be. You're a lying dog-faced Tony soldier. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the thing about being an incumbent president is there's something called the Rose Garden strategy where presidents can sort of um, hide out from active campaigning in the guise of, well, he's busy doing the job. You know that line that, that they keep using, he's delivering for Americans, he's working hard for Americans? You'll hear a lot of that in the summer and fall of 2024. They'll just say, well, we, you know, th- things are too serious for him to be flitting around the county fairs or pressing the flesh or whatever. He, he's, got a, he's, he's working delivering for the American people. You know, they kept him in the the house in Delaware because of COVID in 2020. And that was hard, but because he was a challenger. Now that he's the incumbent, Rose Garden strategy, he's busy. He's got the most important job in the world. He can't come out and do these things. 210-599-5555. Tell me what you think. What do you think about the game we're playing right now with political violence in this country? I've never This I've never seen. I really have never seen this. We're really flirting with disaster, I think. And by disaster, I mean, does it not feel like somebody is going to get killed? Does it not feel like we are on the, the brink of political violence? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure by who and toward whom. It does appear that there are some that kind of sort of want to see a conservative Supreme Court justice get killed. But the problem when you start flirting with this stuff or, or, or invoking the terminology of civil war, as members of Congress are now doing, we're having a civil war, we're going to have one, there will be one if Republicans win the midterms. The problem with that is you, you, when you flirt with it, you can't control how it ends up. It's like you're unleashing it, but you don't know where it's going to wind up. And it's a, it's, a, it's a game. The guy that was arrested outside Kavanaugh's house, now they're saying, have you heard this? He called 911. And he called 911, according to the story I read this morning, because he had called his sister and he had told her, they didn't know, apparently, allegedly, the family didn't know where he was, what he was doing. And she to, he, he told his sister where he had gone and why he had gone there and where he was and how he was having these feelings toward Brett Kavanaugh. And she told him, you, you need help. You need to stop. And he called 911. This is what they're saying. It could change tomorrow, right? He called 911, and they said, well, what's your emergency? And, and they, he apparently said, I need psychiatric help. But he had packed for a mission. 
He might not have been capable of carrying it out, and, and I'm sure that Justice Kavanaugh's house has security around it, but this is what we're unleashing. There's, there's always been people like this. There always will be people like this. But we're egging them on and heating them up with no regard for what it could do. And let's think this through for a minute, and I, and I, I hope I'm wrong about this. But if the plan is to get a Supreme Court justice killed and tilt the balance of the court, what are the 10 or 20 consequences of that? What does that do to the country? What does that do to the political health of the country? You think we're polarized now. How much more polarity would there be if a political outcome was thrown, was shifted by an assassination? We've had presidents assassinated. But the first order of business is always there will be continuity. This will not change policy. Every vice president who has taken that oath, first thing out of his mouth, the assassin doesn't get to veto. The assassin doesn't get to change our trajectory. This does not change our policies. We, If anything, you know, the new president vows to carry out the work of the old. And does, usually. So, do you want to preserve Roe v. Wade this way? Do you know what it would mean if you did? It's a very sick game. It's a very dangerous uh, game of emotion, dangerous emotions. It's keeping everybody on edge. Healthy people can stay that way for a long period of time. That that guy from California who flew to D.C. to kill Kavanaugh, are, are the, this is the kind of people you can't you can't do this to. You can't do this with. And um, I'm not going to say the left made him, but the left has heated him up and and egged him on, and then not said anything about it. This would have been a moment to call for calm and cool and pull back the protests. The protests went went on. They doubled down. It's a very sick game. And it works on very stupid people and very desperate people. And stupid people and desperate people are unpredictable people. You don't know what they'll do. Even the people egging them on don't know what they'll do. They don't know what they've unleashed, in the words of Chuck Schumer. KTSA News Time is 641. This half hour, the results on the JR poll. I think. Let's hope. Um, you know, there's been a lot going on in the news. It's been very busy, hot and heavy. And so I waited. I thought maybe it just would take a while. But it's been now, um, you know, over a week. I guess as of today, it's been 10 days. And apparently, um, our politicians, our media, and I'm sorry to say, our religious leaders in this country 
are going to be ignoring what happened on June 5th in Nigeria. If you haven't heard, gunmen went into a Catholic church, St. Francis, in Ondo, Nigeria, and massacred over 50 men, women, and children. And there are unbelievably horrific videos of people lying in pools of blood, children, elderly, people that were praying for all of us one minute and dead the next minute. And I'm puzzled because for the last few years I've heard the slogan, Black Lives Matter. These were black lives. They don't seem to matter. Something like this should be universally condemned. Even most Catholic churches haven't even offered a prayer for it. I've been in Catholic churches, and I am a Catholic, I've been in Catholic churches where they pray for the Spurs in the playoffs. They pray for rain during a drought, but they haven't prayed for the Nigerians. What disqualifies these victims, I wonder? I'm, I'm puzzled. Why don't their lives matter? A few years ago, a man went into a mosque in New Zealand and killed roughly the same number of innocent worshipers. The UN formed a task force, an initiative which is still in existence to combat Islamophobia and violence. Will the UN form a response to Nigeria? I guess there's time. They haven't done it yet. Explain to me why this is not the same. There's a pattern of Islamist terror attacks on churches in Nigeria. There's been several of them over the last decade with a death toll in the hundreds. It's a pattern. It's a, it's a genocide. Black lives matter. What about these? I mean, I'm asking. I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't want to jump to the conclusions that I could jump to. I don't want to be one of those Catholics that you hear sometimes who think that, oh, the whole world is out to get us and the popular culture is out to get us. I, I'm, I'm very secure and comfortable being Catholic. I, I know there are critics and I know there are smears and I know there are people that have it in for the Catholic Church, but there's over a billion Catholics worldwide. We're, we're going to be okay. My faith is strong. Our church is strong. It, 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 it's interesting, right? I mean, it's, it's hard not to notice the inconsistency of it. And that slogan is so absolute, it doesn't sound like there are any exceptions to it. But it turns out, I'm talking about the slogan, Black Lives Matter, it turns out there's all kinds of exceptions to it. If they're in Nigeria, apparently they don't matter. If they're Catholics in Nigeria, apparently they don't matter. If Black lives are taken by other black people. They don't matter. If they're young men in our cities, they don't matter. We're not even counting them. No one's making little wooden crosses or lowering flags or lighting candles for any of this. It, again, the slogan seems pretty absolute. It doesn't have an, an asterisk or a list of exceptions. But it turns out not to be that at all. Love to hear an explanation of that. Do you remember when people would challenge you to agree with that statement? And, and there was no, you couldn't say, well, I think all lives matter. Oh, no, 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 no. 
That's a cop-out. I want to hear you say it. You have to say it. And companies kneeled and politicians kneeled and and everybody caved, not everybody, but many people caved. And I think people of goodwill wanted to demonstrate, well, of course your lives matter. And yes, I, I'm sorry you even have to ask. I, I can't believe you didn't already know. Why doesn't it apply here? Why are we brushing past, overlooking, covering up, moving on? Because we don't, right? With other things, we don't move on. We say, no, it's not right to move on. We can't forget. We mustn't forget. Never forget, they say. Why doesn't that apply here? Catholic worshipers in Nigeria. Before you go to bed, you could try a cool shower or, or a cool bath. But the tip I heard that I, th- I like the most, try putting your sheets in the freezer for a couple hours before you go to bed. It, it'll, it'll make your bed much more comfortable. It may help you get to that part of going falling to sleep. All right, so let me see if you understand that. I, before I go to bed, I have to put my sheets in the freezer. <laughs> then I got to make up the bed again before I go to bed. Seems like a lot of work. I'm already hot. Um, how about you just eat something out of the freezer and then go to bed? How about that? All right, on the JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing, do you expect Democrats will renominate President Biden in 2024? You do not expect that. 89% say no. 11% say yes. We'll have a new JR poll question tomorrow at 4 or anytime. You can find it at KTSA.com. So there's, there's a kind of career in Hollywood that I've always been kind of fascinated by. You know, you have your big stars, right? You have your multi-million dollar above the marquee names. But the meat potato of television and movie acting are those character actors who... I think probably always work. You know, they're probably always busy. They get to do a lot of different things, work with a lot of different people and directors and a lot of different genres. If you were going to have a career in Hollywood, would you want to be like a Tom Cruise or a Johnny Depp? Or would you want to be like the gentleman who just passed away uh, yesterday at the age of 90, a character actor named Philip Baker Hall? You may not know the name. I would not have known the name. But when you see the work he's done and you see what he's been in, tons and tons of movie credits, credits, Boogie Nights, The Truman Show, Talented Mr. Ripley, Bruce Almighty, Zodiac. Um, He has um, never won an Academy Award But he's done prolific work also on television, been on series including MASH, Murder, She Wrote, Cheers, Um, Law and Order, The West Wing, The Practice, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Modern Family, BoJack Horseman, many others. And again, he's one of those people, you see the face, you you say, I've seen this guy, I know this guy, but never a big star. He had a long career. Basically worked for decades after serving in the Army. He was a high school teacher before he got into 
acting in Broadway and Off-Broadway. The role that I think people will remember best is the one we're going to leave you with tonight. He's playing a library cop on the third season of Seinfeld. The legendary one-time character Bookman on Seinfeld, the late Philip Baker Hall. Take it away. Well, I'm glad you're here so we can get this all straightened out. Would you like a cup of tea? You got any coffee? Coffee? Yeah, coffee. No, I don't drink coffee. Yeah, you don't drink coffee? How about instant coffee? No, I don't have... You don't have any instant coffee? Well, I don't normally... Who doesn't have instant coffee? I don't. You buy a jar of Folgers crystals, you put it in the cupboard, you forget about it. And later on, when you need it, it's there. It lasts forever. It's freeze-dried. Freeze-dried crystals. Really, I'll have to remember that. You took this book out in 1971. Yes, and I returned it in 1971. Yeah, 71. That was my first year on the job. Bad year for libraries. Bad year for America. Hippies burning library cards. Abby Huffman telling everybody to steal books. I don't judge a man by the length of his hair, the kind of music he listens to. Rock was never my bag. But you put on a pair of shoes when you walk into the New York Public Library, fella. Look, Mr. Buckman. I, I returned that book. I remember it very specifically. You're a comedian. You make people laugh. I try. You think this is all a big joke, don't you? No, I don't. I saw you on TV once. I remembered your name from my list. I looked it up. Sure enough, it checked out. You think because you're a celebrity that somehow the law doesn't apply to you, that you're above the law? Certainly not. Well, let me tell you something funny, boy. <laughs> you know that little stamp? The one that says New York Public Library? Well, that may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. One whole hell of a lot. Sure, go ahead, laugh if you want to. I've seen your type before. Flashy, making the scene, flaunting convention. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. It's just guy making such a big stink about old library books. Well, let me give you a hint, Junior. <laughs> Maybe we can live without libraries, people like you and me, maybe. Sure, we're too old to change the world. But what about that kid sitting down, opening a book right now in a branch of the local library and finding drawings of peepees and wee-wees <laughs> and the cat in the hat and the five Chinese brothers? Doesn't he deserve better? Look, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, you better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped. That turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks. You and your good time buddies. Well, I got a flash for you, Joy Boy. Party time is over. 